The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. Welcome back to part two of this episode. I really hope you enjoyed part one. Now let's get back into it to use your term with the different agendas that say a patient has and an endo may have how do you feel that can be improved if you were to go in and give your diabetic team or your endos or write a new textbook around diabetes and and dealing with diabetic patients what would you put in it how would you change that agenda so that you as a patient come out feeling better than you did going in Yes, that's a really excellent question. I think, you know, not that I will, but if I could write a textbook on diabetes, I would dedicate a whole chapter just to mental health. So if I reflect on my experience, you know, again, I had great care. I well started in ED, but focusing otherwise, I when I went to the outpatients, I saw a sort of consultant, so I saw the endo. And I got to speak over the phone with a dietitian. So those two things, and all, all very important, all extremely important. But again, I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of what I say because I, <laughs> I don't want to criticize anyone. But it did feel ever so slightly, you get those practicalities out the way and then right, push into the real world. And there you go you're left to it kind of thing. Mm. And if I could change anything, that's exactly what it would be is it perhaps it doesn't have to be at the exact time of diagnosis, but I think written into, you know, unfortunately they don't, these things don't come in, you know, in in the UK, we base our medical practice or something called NICE or the, uh, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence. And, mental health and type 1 diabetes is not written as standard care into those guidelines. And if I could see anything change, it would be, why don't we introduce, not necessarily a psychologist, mm. but because I appreciate, we look, we, at the end of the day, the first thing that anyone is going to say back to you, especially within a free point of care national health service is, well, the reason we're not doing that is because of money. Exactly. Exactly. is budget and things are limited. And I get that, but in a perfect world, in a perfect world, if we could say, right, you're going to see a consultant, a nurse, a dietitian, and you're going to see a 
psychologist or just a therapist. It doesn't have to be a psychologist or a psychiatrist. It could be you're going to speak to someone about how hard this is mm. and about how you're coping and about how you do mentally. And when you leave hospital, you're going to be followed up with, yeah, great. I saw them in six months' time with my numbers, but followed up, say, in six weeks' time with, how, you know, mate, how are you, how are you doing? You coping? Mm. Because that was always the hardest part for me. And I'm sure that a lot of people living with this can relate. So if I could change anything or integrate that, it would that's what it would be. But whether or not, because I think we're there with the tech and the closed loop systems and the ultra rapid actins and the CGMs. I mean, the next thing that could only come of all that is a is a freaking cure, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, I know. Where no. I think we're actually at the limits of I think we provide outstanding medical care, but mm. what we what we need to do is bridge the the, the, the mental gap, the mental health gap. So you touched on there, Tony, about the fact that like it would be massively beneficial to have, say, a, a, a therapist to speak to on diagnosis or during diagnosis initially. We've been talking about hindsight and the beauty of hindsight in, in all types of scenarios and situations. But let's say you did speak to a therapist when you were initially diagnosed. What would you have liked to have been told by them or what would you have liked them to say to you to make the emotional and mental challenge more manageable or easier to deal with? I guess it's the things that I gradually taught myself over time, which I think if I didn't teach myself probably would have ended up being very self-destructive. So things like For example, when you have a high, how do you react to that? And having a talk around, okay, you feel, you know, you feel pissed off, you feel frustrated, you feel angry, you feel like you're going to rage bolus, you feel X, Y, and Z. So then it's, why don't we develop strategies about coping with a high? Because there's the physical aspect of coping with a high, which is I'm just going to inject some insulin. Okay, great. Or, you know, I'm going to go and walk this off or whatever, whatever you do. But then there's the mental aspect of how do I psychologically cope with that high? Um, and the same could be said for a low. The same could be said for time in range, essentially trying to work towards healthy long-term psychological coping mechanisms for when things go the way that you, uh, or rather for when things don't go the way that you intend or would want. How do you deal with that? And I think, again, you know, I touched on it earlier, but I really needed to teach myself compassion, patience, and um, kindness, and um working on those things would have um, would have been great too. And then I think genu- genuinely, I think there's a lot to be said about, and I think this is generally true, not just for diabetes, but for any kind of, of chronic disease. And that's the, the psychological burden of 
chronic of any chronic illness now for you and i that's diabetes for other people it could be any other host of autoimmune disease it could even be osteoarthritis i mean we know statistically that people who live with chronic pain suffer higher rates of depression there have been many many studies on that by virtue of constantly being obviously in pain like who wouldn't be in the same way you and i have something to constantly think about and not only that but we have to think about complications of what will happen if we don't look after ourselves and so discussion around health anxiety and what we're we're finding is that it's actually becoming more of a thing but access to this is very is very poor and extremely limited especially in the nhs but the what's what is an increasing phenomenon at the moment is health psychology and i think that's really interesting field and that's something that's going to expand moving forwards and is something that i think i would to be honest with you i could still definitely benefit from not you know yeah okay the numbers are better but at the end of the day this is still a chronic disease we're still living with this every day we still have as, as you touched on earlier no matter how small that humming noise we still live with that any every day and that can accumulate so this concept of mm. health psychology is expanding but it's definitely in an infancy at the moment but mm. hopefully we'll see more of that later mm. I'm going to make a bold statement just purely based off my own experience. I would imagine that health anxiety purely in relation to diabetes has probably increased since tech has improved so much. And what I mean by that is something that really often comes up in conversation with with me or a member of our our program whatever it might be is the stress or the anxiety around like time and range or constantly seeing your blood sugar. And it's a tricky one because never would I want to go back to not having a CGM because they're unbelievably beneficial tools to have. But you can see firsthand how they can quite easily add additional stress or anxiety to people's lives because they see everything all the time. And it's almost as if when you're finger pricking, you you see a lot less. You don't need to think about it as much. Ignorance is bliss to a certain extent. So I would imagine it's, it's probably quite similar, as you say, Tony, with other conditions, but specifically in relation to diabetes, my, that bold statement is, I don't know if there's officially been studies, but just from my own experience, I would imagine there is more anxiety around health overall because your eyes are opened so much more to everything that's going on with your blood sugar so much more frequently. Does that make sense? Oh, it, it entirely makes sense. And being, you know, entirely honest from my personal experience, there have, I think in the last 14 months, there have been, I can count them on one hand, but still, I think there have been two two instances where I've just ripped my CGM off because I had enough. To be fair, I probably put one on a few hours. What have I done? What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, I've totally been there, um, and I can 
I think you make an excellent point, mate. The and this is incredibly easier said than done. I think it's you're hundred percent right. Uh, as I said, I, I've been there. I've 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 worried. I've been in a position where I've constantly worried about my glucose. That has definitely worn down at me at times and has sometimes grinded me to a halt because you're getting this continuous data right every single minute. And I think what I have to do for myself when I'm in that frame of mind now is again, you know, not to sound philosophical or um there's plenty of philosophy on this podcast. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> oh mate. Um I think everything is a choice. And I think it is really easy, or it, rather it is easier to focus on the negative. Like for example, in the same vein, in the way that I might constantly worry about my glucose, I've definitely had, even in the last couple of weeks, man, I've had a couple of times where I'm like, oh, what life would be if I didn't have this? How much easier it would be? I wish I'd, you, you know, come on, we have the disease and we, we, we know we can live and we know we can thrive with it, but that doesn't mean to say that if we had the choice, we choose to live without it. And it's very easy for me to get into that repetitive thinking sometimes of, I wish I didn't have it. Why, why me? Why now? Yada, 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 yada. And I have to think about for my own sanity. Well, this is the good it's brought to my life. The fact that, yeah, you could to and relating that to what we were talking about, the fact that we have these CGMs and they, and they give us so much information is definitely in some regards a curse. And I can totally relate to the burnout around that, but mm. at the same time, it's an absolute blessing. And I think how we, what, you know, the perspective we choose to focus on, and that's not easy. Mm. That's really difficult, but the perspective we choose to focus on can make all the difference. Like rather than me getting pissed off and frustrated that, oh, I'm losing where I want to be. Oh, I've had this data overload or, you know, it's, I'm so incredibly lucky that I have this information given to me that I can make an adjustment to my glucose if necessary so that I can improve my time and range, improve my HBO and C and stop me from getting complications. And so, mm. You know, to to every yin there's a yang, isn't there? And um, I think that that's the other thing. Sorry, I digress, but you know, when when we have that burnout, I think we have to remind ourselves like it's we're totally allowed to feel that way, and that's okay, and to switch off from it, um, and to say, right, I'm just not. I'm going to turn my alarm off, or whatever, for a bit. Mm. Is or like you said, finger break. Mm. Um, that's okay too. And if we need a break from it, that that's completely mm. acceptable, you know? 100%. And I think it's important for people to remember that. I think it's important for people to remember that, like, you live with type 1 diabetes. It's incredibly difficult to live with it in, in, all, in all different regards. Mm. And part of your life with us, in my opinion, is being burnt out from time to time, is being mm. stressed from time to time, is being mm. overwhelmed from time to time. That, like, That's part of your life in general. 
but it's exaggerated sometimes with type one diabetes and like accepting and acknowledging that in advance is, is always going to work in your favor. Because if I know this is what I do quite regularly, I'll, Mm. I'll consciously say to myself, like, what challenge do I expect to come across today, this week, this month? Like mm. whether it be mental, physical, emotional, and if and when that comes up, how can I deal with it? So you're you're preempting something that you're going to find incredibly difficult. And when you're preempting it, it's not like you're setting it in stone and it's definitely going to happen. But if and when it does happen, you're stressed, you're overwhelmed, you're frustrated, you're burnt out. You can say to yourself, "Oh yeah, like I was, I was kind of expecting this. I knew this would come about at some point, and this is what I have planned mentally for it." This is the strategy that I have in place to deal with it because mm-hmm. I don't think, again, I'll make another bold statement, Tony, right? I would imagine <laughs> there, pro- there probably isn't any diabetic, type one diabetic living with the condition that wouldn't say the mental is more challenging. I'd be pretty confident to make that statement because mm-hmm. I would imagine, again, just from my experience, everybody I've spoken to when this point of conversation has maybe come up, have said the mental, the emotional is much more challenging than the physical. No doubt. Yeah. And yeah. no surprise, you know, because it, like you said, it's that kind of constant humming. Yeah. Tony, how has your fiance dealt with all of this? <laughs> you know, she's been, um, she's been incredible. I think I'm infinitely indebted to her in 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 more than one way. She's just been the most supporting um, person uh, in my life. I think the changes that I've made to my my lifestyle, my diet, are things which she's wholeheartedly embraced. And has 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 taken on in, you know, in complete solidarity. Not that she ever needs to. That's not to say, by the way, when she doesn't feel like a massive bar of Cadbury's that she's going to inhale that within thirty seconds. Or <laughs> yeah. right. But she's just been incredible. I think initially, you know, there, there were times where it's been very hard for her. Naturally, she worries about my health and. It was hard for her to see me in hospital, especially when I went into to A and E. But it was difficult for her to see me when I'm I'm down about my diabetes. You know, she hates seeing me down, and it's one of my motivators for for getting control of this. You know, it's not you know sometimes I feel like in the bigger picture, it's not just about me, but it's about those around me. You know, it's about her. And the other day, she she we, she she woke up a little bit um a little bit teary because of a post we. Uh, we read on Instagram, it was, I don't know, some, some, some random thing that came up on my feed. I didn't even subscribe to it, but it was something about, I hadn't even heard of it, to be honest. It's not a, it's not something you read in the textbooks, but this concept of sudden type one death syndrome, where it's a phenomenon of a young person with diabetes going to sleep and, and not waking up. And again, not something I've ever heard of, but presumably that's because that's due to a you know a profound hypo. That's the only thing I can think of. But nevertheless, the point was she read that 
and was extremely worried about me first thing in the morning because these things are really upset as they would be to any family member to think, oh God, is that going to happen to him? Is that... It ta- I think having recognition that it takes toll on the people around us is important. But also, last night, for instance, actually, just last night we had a conversation of, I was telling her I've had this stuff happen in my day and this went wrong and yada, yada, yada. And the thing that's been making it worse is my... Um, is this constant humming of the diabetes because it's always there. It's always in the back of the mix. And she's like, well, you know, baby, you need to, you need to talk to me. You need to tell me these things. You have to tell me when you're feeling this way. I don't care how repetitive you sound. You need to voice these things because otherwise they're going to build up and accumulate. So I think also realizing that for me in the way in our dynamic works, that it's um, important for me and to her that I regularly open up and share these things is, is also a way that we both cope by always keeping that open channel of communication, right? Like, and it's admittedly something, may as a guy, I'm pretty crap at. You know, I think as men, we absolutely have to be so much better at talking about our feelings. And doing that with her is very important, not just for me, but for her too, and our relationship and keeping things open. And so... You know, we we we've we've been through a lot, and we've been through ways of coping. But she's all, you know, it's my recognition that in me going through this, she's also been through a lot, and I'm just incredibly lucky that I have someone who's stood by me through the whole thing. It's a another sprinkle of why you need to take after or look after your health. You know, the sprinkle Absolutely. of fear, sprinkle of the impact that it can potentially have on the people around me that I care about. And this is another reason why it's so important that I look after my health. Tony, do you have any questions for me? You may not, but I've been living with it for 12 odd years. Do you have any, any questions for me or anything I can help you with while you have me here? Well, well I guess one thing is um, you've mentioned it, but I'm not, I can't really recall if you explained why. But um, maybe you have. But like you, I've chosen to use pens. I've opted, although I'd be eligible for a part five. Mm. I don't want one. Um, And I think you're the same, right? So I was just wondering what your reasons were for that. Good question. I I get asked this a lot, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, a good bit, because there's a lot of people inside our program who have pumps too, and they love them. And they're like, oh, why don't you use a pump? Why don't you use a pump? I get get asked quite frequently. Mm. To, To be completely open, I'm actually, I have been considering it more over recent months, just because I've never used one before. And I obviously... I obviously understand the benefits of them and I understand the difference between pens and pumps. Um, and one of the coaches that we have inside our program has been using a pump for years and he like just absolutely loves the thing and he can't imagine his life without it. <laughs> so I have been considering it more over recent months, just as I said, because I haven't tried one firsthand up to this point. But I suppose my my reluctance to have one was or has been um, or is, I suppose, just due to the fact that I haven't really felt like I've needed one. And what I mean by that, it's like my management with my pens 
I feel is in a good place. I'm happy with, I, I don't mind the pens. They're really convenient and it's, it, it's just fit into my routine completely. You know, like I have my alarms for my basil. I set my alarm for my pre-bolus. I know my insulin to carb ratios. I know my insulin timings, my split doses, all these different things. So I haven't necessarily felt a need, but mm-hmm. the more I even see clients with us use them, the more I I know about them, the more I just say to myself, well, why don't I use one? Like, why don't I try it? Because it's only ever going to make anything better as opposed to making things worse long-term anyway. But as well, I suppose, because it's always been what I've been used to and because I'm really active and because it's just been so convenient for me to use pens, I, I haven't felt a desire really to change anything. I know it's a cliche thing to say, but if it's not broken, don't fix it in the sense that I'm confident of my management. Pens are convenient, what I'm comfortable with for the moment, but I'm in no way opposed to using a pump. So over the next number of months, maybe you'll uh, see me using the pump, Tony. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. I have um, one last quick question, if I may. Absolutely. Something I've thought about is, how to phrase it, um, how did you, or how do you sort of develop the, the confidence to express if you like your diabetes in public you know in terms of what you wear where and when you inject etc good question so you mean public in terms of like out there in the world as opposed to instagram podcast kind of public exactly so in terms of yeah really really good question and and myself and graham were actually speaking about this briefly yesterday Mm. there's loads of different avenues I could go down and it's uh, a rabbit hole that I could go down in massive depth in terms of being more public with your diabetes and, you know, not being shy about it and these kinds of things. But for me, it mostly comes from, and again, this is just my perspective. People may disagree, perfectly fine. For me, it comes mostly from the confidence I have in privacy with it. And what I mean by that is because I do what I know I need to do for myself, because I am confident of my management in myself, because I have put like hundreds of thousands of hours of Mm -hmm. time, energy, and effort into management as a whole, but my own management more specifically, I have such self-confidence in my own management privately. Mm. And because of that, I find it easier to be confident with it publicly Mm. in the sense that if somebody asks me what my CGM is, if somebody asks me what my insulin pen is for, if somebody asks me, like, can you eat that? If somebody asks me, why haven't you tried cinnamon? You know, that's the cure apparently. And if somebody is curious or if somebody's giving me a, an awkward eye when they see me injecting in public, it just doesn't in any way phase me at all, ever. Mm-hmm. And for me, that has come from the confidence that I have with it for myself. Because if I didn't have confidence with it, 
let's say I I don't like my diabetes, but let's say I hated my diabetes. I didn't like anything about it. There was no positive in it for me. It was something that I tried to neglect. It was just this dark cloud over my mind, this dark cloud over my life physically, something that I wasn't assured about. That would absolutely impact how I pose it publicly. Because why would I want somebody to be asking me questions? Why would I want somebody to be giving me an awkward eye? Why would I want somebody to be looking at me with two heads because I'm injecting? If it's mm. for me, this massive negative of my life, and which I'm fully aware of the fact that it is for some people, of course, how could it not be? But from my own perspective, the confidence that I have publicly comes back or has formed from the confidence I have privately. That's how I'd put it. Mm. What, a, what a great way of putting it. it. Really makes sense. So to continue with that, the yeah. advice that I would have for somebody who maybe does worry about it publicly, who doesn't want people to even know they're diabetic, who doesn't want somebody to look at them injecting, who doesn't want anybody asking them any questions, because maybe they might not even know the answer to some questions that they're asked which is okay too. My advice would be keep it simple in the sense that put time in, put energy in, put effort in to improving your diabetes for yourself in any way that you can. Whether it be listening to a podcast, whether it be like reevaluating your ratios this week, whether it be really trying to pay attention to why am I reacting in this way emotionally to something that happens? All of these different parts of diabetes kind of lead to your overall confidence with the condition, in my opinion. And mm. my advice would be for anybody, even if you've had it for 40 years, if you've been diagnosed six months ago, learn what you can about it in general and for you. Because the reality of it is the more that you know with the condition and the more that you understand about yourself with the condition, the easier it's going to be to live with 100%. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Couldn't agree of course. more. Of course. So Tony, I have one more question for you. And yeah. because, because you listen to this podcast here, you may be expecting it and it might be a difficult one to answer because in my eyes, you're still brand new to the whole thing. Mm -hmm. But if you had to thank your diabetes for something, what would that be? I guess it's what I've, um, I've touched on in terms of what it's or rather how it's taught me to treat myself. Um, as I said, I, I, I used to have probably quite unhealthy ways of, of, of thinking about success and, and had very high expectations of myself. And I think the, the biggest thing I've probably got from it is adapting my perspective just to be more gentle with, with myself. And I think, you know, well, we, we both know all too well that I think, this is a very finite, it's a limited life. I just think it's important to live that as best and 
as well as we can and focusing on what we do rather than we don't have and seeing purpose in that i think is a recipe for doing well generally i think without diabetes and and, and just beyond that you know mm-hmm. so yeah it's 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 that love it love it i have to say tony i've thoroughly 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 enjoyed this conversation i have to say um well, likewise. the the insight that you have already after such a short space of time with it and and the self-awareness that we touched on already is amazing to see and if i were you i wouldn't be worrying about a thing because <laughs> you're you have your head on your shoulders quite clearly you're an intelligent man quite clearly and you've plenty of success and happiness and health ahead of you so i wish you nothing but the best and thank you so much for coming on. I really, really enjoyed it. Mate, thank you so much for having me. And again, just thank you for the wonderful work you do. As I say, this was a really, really important part of my development with the disease in the early stages. And I'm sure I speak on behalf of many people when I say, you know, I'm infinitely grateful for what you put out there for free. So thank you. Pleasure. I appreciate it. Look after yourself. I'll chat to you soon. You too, man. Another massive thank you to today's guest. And if you haven't already, be sure to check out their social channels and links that we've included in the episode description. If you enjoy the podcast, which I'm guessing you do because you listen, be sure to rate, subscribe, and share. It really, really helps the podcast get heard by more people when you rate, when you subscribe, and when you share. If you feel that you've been able to benefit from it so far, likely someone else would be too. If you have any questions or stories for myself and Graham, please do not hesitate to reach out. We absolutely love getting in the email stories and questions. You can do this through theinsalonepodcast at gmail.com. And if you would like to learn more from me, stay connected or even work with me and other people living with type 1 diabetes who want to be fitter healthier and happier within my type 1% better online program. You can message me directly through Instagram or you can fill out an application form through the link in the podcast description. And as always, another massive thank you to you for your time and your ears. We greatly appreciate you showing up each week, time after time, ready to gain knowledge and confidence around your diabetes management. So until next week, Have a good day. Have a good week. Look after those blood sugars and I'll chat to you soon. Take it easy.